All right, welcome everyone to uh, Awkward Church, as I've been calling it. It's just not quite the same when um, you can't gather as the whole community, and uh, I mean, the largest part of church, of course, is God, but it's also His people and gathering together, and uh, so we're trying to make do, and welcome those of you who are joining us uh, on online. And as usual, not, be, not taking an offering, there's just a basket at the back, and you can always give, give online. Um, a big part of uh, following Jesus is, is just having that generous heart and uh, to be givers. And so we always in, encourage that. Uh, we are continuing today in our uh, series here on, I think my battery needs to be changed in uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, last week we began looking at this story. It's one of the uh, gospel stories that is one of the most loved gospel stories by, by many folks. And um, last week we, we looked at the story and we talked a little bit about judgment. And we're going to just continue on that theme. Next week we're going to talk on, um, on, the, on, the, on prayer. Let me read the story. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt beside him, behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom the, uh, uh, he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so last week we began to look at some of the, the context of this story. And, and we saw that this is a very messy story. I mean, what this woman was doing was not really acceptable, as definitely not in the religious world, but also even culturally to sort of take down your hair in public, and, and yet this woman is washing the feet of Jesus. And so we see these two characters. We see, of course, Simon the Pharisee, 
she is looking at this woman, and the only thing that he sees is, is all the, the wrongness of the situation. Uh, he is judging her, and we talked about judgment last week, why we need to be, be very careful about making quick judgments about people. We, we talked about the importance of trying to hear people's story. Uh, we talked about the reality that a lot of times we judge others simply because we want to make ourselves feel better. But, uh, but this is what Simon's doing, completely judging this woman. And, uh, and yet there's Jesus. Jesus is looking at this woman, even in her mess, and even though she's not doing everything culturally acceptable, Jesus just sees love for this woman. In fact, not only that, but Jesus actually uses this story, the contrast between the Pharisee and this woman, to teach a little bit about love. And we see in the end that it's actually this woman who has the right heart and the Pharisee who has the, the, the wrong heart. And, uh, and so we see when Jesus says, she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And he's directly speaking to the woman who has shown much love, who is showing the heart of God, and then this Pharisee who is showing little love, uh, missing the heart of God. And this is a reminder that, um, that we can actually be right and miss the heart of God. There is a sense when this Pharisee says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And the Pharisee was actually right. I mean, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus knew what kind of woman was, was touching him. Uh, Jesus knew this woman was a sinner. The Pharisee knew that. But he totally misses God's heart. Again, the Pharisee is looking through his rules, right and wrong. Does, you know, does this woman have right theology? It's all about in or out, right or wrong, you know, correct or not correct. Does, does she fit into the religious rules? And, and that's what he bases relationship on. Jesus sees right through kind of, you know, right and wrong and the mess of the situation and gets right to her heart and sees that this woman is acting out of love and actually has the right heart before God. And so we see texts like this in 1 Peter 4.8. It says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And here we see in this text the contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisee, uh, he couldn't cover a multitude of sins because the only way he sees the world, the only way he sees other people is through right and wrong, in or out, correct theology, wrong theology. And because she was out and was messy and didn't have everything together, he couldn't show her any love. Jesus' love is a love that covers a multitude of sins, that can see through our mess, and even in our mess, I mean, he, he is showing love to this woman and, and seeing her heart, and, and this is kind of the love that we, we need to strive for. Again, in Colossians, it says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. And, and it's a love that makes allowance for, for faults. Pharisees can't do that. Pharisees have no room for faults <laughs> in themselves or in others. It's, it's all about right and wrong. It's not about, about, about love. And uh, this is important for us, this contrast between the Pharisees and between the heart of Jesus or even the heart of this woman. Uh, because we very easily can fall into the trap of the Pharisees, as we talked about last week. 
uh, very easily we can fall into a trap where we begin to judge people based on you know right and wrong rather than than on love and the desire that God wants relationship or that we should have a relationship. Uh, George Barna actually did a study uh, years ago. Um, he's a guy who just does research based on faith-based organizations. And he actually found that most Christians actually have more pharisaical, pharisaical attitudes and actions than, than actually Jesus-like attitudes and actions. And so this is really important for us because, I mean, Simon the Pharisee never would have thought... <laughs> He wouldn't have thought, you know, you know, I'm missing God's heart. You know, you know I'm, a, I'm a judgmental person. I mean, no, he, uh, Pharisees thought that they were following God's heart, but they completely missed it. And very easily, we can fall into that exact same tra uh, trap. And so uh, the Barnard Research Institute did this kind of study. They, they looked at actions and attitudes like Jesus and then actions and attitudes like the Pharisees. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I'll just read through this quickly. This is kind of a a summary of some of the questions they asked to get their outcome. So some actions like Jesus. I listen to other stories before telling them about my faith. I influence people to consider Jesus. I have meals with people with different faiths or morals. I discover and serve the needs of others. I spend time with those who don't follow Jesus. Or we can look at uh, attitudes like Jesus. I see value in every person. I believe God is for everyone. I see God working in all people's lives. It is more important to help people know God is for them than to make sure they know they are sinners. I have compassion for those who are not following God. And so those were some of the, the filters they used for Jesus-like attitudes and actions. And then they looked at Pharisaical actions. And that is the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. I avoid spending time with people who are gay or lesbian. I like to point out those who have wrong theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. And then pharisaical attitudes. I find it hard to be friends with people who constantly do the wrong things. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. People who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. And so they kind of used that framework and they did all their, their research. And here's kind of the, the quadrant they ended up with. That only 14% of Christians actually have Jesus-like attitudes and actions. Another 14 had a mix, another 21 had a mix, 51% were, had both pharisaical attitudes and inactions. And this is kind of a, a you know, maybe a, a should shock us because we're actually to be followers of Jesus, not the followers of the Pharisees. And if, and if only 14, you know, end up in the study actually, you know, representing attitudes and actions, then, then, then we really need to stop and just say, is my heart really in the right spot? when it comes to the way I view the world or view the people, people around me. Again, only 51% had both pharisaical um, uh, actions and attitudes. The other, so only 14% actually had Christ-like attitudes and actions, which is shocking. Again, uh, again, if you ask the Pharisees, um, if you ask the Pharisees, you know, is your heart right with God? They would have said, Absolutely. 
If you would ask anybody in their culture, you know, who are the folks who are most dedicated to God? Everybody would point to the Pharisees. Uh, everybody would. They, they just assume those are the people who are most right with God. Yet Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And even more shocking, at one time he said this, for you are the children of your father, the devil. I mean, completely opposite. I mean, they thought their heart was for, for God, and yet it was completely opposite. And so again, uh, these texts and all of Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees just, just ought to cause us to pause and say, you know, how is my heart doing? Are there, there pharisaical tendencies in my heart that are actually pulling me away from, from, God's, from God's heart? A question is sometimes asked by, by Christians, and that question goes like this. I've been trying to grow in my faith, but why am I becoming more judgmental? You know, I'm trying to grow in my faith, but, but why am I becoming more judgmental? And of course, this is what happened to the Pharisees. I mean, it seemed that the more they grew in their, in their faith, the more judgmental they got. In fact, Jesus at one time said that when you make a convert, you make that person twice as much a son of a hell as hell as you are. I mean, they were growing in judgment. And sometimes Christians find themselves, as they're trying to grow in their faith, find themselves becoming more judgmental. And that happened to me. I mean, when I became a Christian, I mean, and I was just so thrilled uh, with God in my life. He needed to change things in my life. But at the same time, there was something in me that, that became more judgmental towards certain kinds of people. And I would love to point out people who had different theology, and they had wrong theology, and I was right. And you could ask me any question, I had the answer, and my answer was right. And, and uh, you know, but there's something broken in us that wants to feel kind of supreme, wants to feel better than others, wants to, to think that we have all the answers. And, and it's taken a, lot, taken a lot of maturing for me to kind of bring myself back to a more humble place where it's real, I, I don't have all the answers. And, and I just look to God and be filled with his love. And, and it's a cycle that we can actually get caught up into. And Jesus told this other story, which again is along this theme in Luke 18. Jesus said, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And see this, see this Pharisee that everybody in that culture would think it was right with God, and the tax collector was like the enemy, the furthest person from God. And then Jesus, again, he says the most crazy thing. He says this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. And that word means forgiven, right relationship with God, right heart with God. It was the tax collector who had the right heart before God, not the Pharisee. And this would have just been mind-blowing for the people of the day. Because the Pharisees, they dedicated themselves to the 613 laws of the Old Testament. And not only did they dedicate themselves to the law, but they made sure they had lots of padding around the law to make sure they didn't even come close to breaking the, those laws. They, they, they dedicated themselves to, to the rules, to their system of theology, to, to right and wrong. And yet they completely missed God's heart. 
And there's places where we can tend to begin to focus on just the rules rather than on relationship. Begin to focus on right and wrong rather than, than on, on love. It seemed that David as well was someone as he matured became actually more humble in his spirit. At the end of his life, and most people believe he wrote this near the end of his life, he said this, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. Like, he just brought himself to this place of humility, humility where he, doesn't, he didn't know he didn't know all the answers. He, didn't, he knew he didn't have everything together, but he, he was humble. And, and, and again, uh, this can happen to the best of us. It is why none of us are free. I'm not free from, from examining my own heart. Do I have tendencies like the Pharisee, Pharisees within me? Because do you know this happened to a whole church? And it can happen to a whole church. It can happen to, to brilliant leaders. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is about this. It happened to the whole church, uh, to churches in Galatia, and it happened actually to the Apostle Peter. This is part of the theme of the book of Galatians. Uh, look at what Paul says. He says this, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following, following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not good news at all. I mean, what, what were they following? What, how, they, how had they departed? Well, they had departed towards Pharise Pharisaicalism. And, and this theme comes up all through the book. Like in Galatians 3, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus' death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. I mean, they had moved towards, you know, I gotta, it's, it's my actions, it's my obedience, it's having all, everything together, it's, it's following the rules, this is why God blesses me, this is, this is why I have the Holy Spirit, this is why God works miracles in me, because I follow all the rules, and, 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 and Paul's just like, what has, what has happened? It's about the grace of God, it's about his mercy, it's about his love, it's not about what we do, it's about what God is doing in our hearts, and then later in chapter 4 he goes on and he says, uh, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years or all these other rules. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. In other words, Paul was not focused on the rules anymore. He was focused on Jesus. He was focused on God. He was focused in, up there, not like uh, on, on right and wrong and correct theology and wrong theology. This is what the, the Galatians fell into. And then, and then becomes sort of the ultimate chapter in Galatians. He says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And then in verse 6, he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. 
And this is what happens. As soon as you begin focused on right theology, wrong theology, are you in or are you out? Do you have the right rules or are you not following the rules? You will, you will focus on those things and you will forget that the thing that counts most is, is love. Giving and receiving love from God and we give it back and giving and receiving love from each other. And then in verse 13 and 14, he says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. And then he says this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law, all the rules out there are summed up in this one. Love one another. And so if you're going to do one thing, focus on loving one another. Don't focus on those little rules because that will tend to get you distracted. Focus on loving one another. The, the only thing that counts is faith expressing it through love. The whole law, all the rules can be summed up in just loving one another. And that's kind of the message of Galatians. You know, Eugene, Eugene Peterson, he uh, has this little story he tells about the making of a Pharisee. And the story kind of goes like this. He he says, you know, someone moves into a house, and, and there they have this, this, this window in this new house, which has the most amazing view ever. And every time this woman walks by the window, she, she just has to stop and is, is just captured by this view, the mountains and the scenery. And every time in her heart, just like, this view is amazing. I just can't believe this view. And so many times a day, she walks by, and she just stops and just captivated by the view. And then a bird poops on the window. Ah, my view is mixed up, and she has to go get some rags and clean it up. And then another bird poops on the window, and she's like, you know, I better get, a, you know. So she goes to the store and buys a really good squeegee and some glass cleaner. I'm gonna, I need to keep my view perfect. And then the next day, she has friends over with little kids, and they, they touch the window and look through it. And, and she's like, oh, look at all these smudges. I don't think I'm ever going to invite anybody else over to my house again because they just mess up my window. And, and so she cleans the window. And then a storm comes up and it gets dusty and dirty. And so she has to get ladders outside and, and she cleans the window. But day after day, she finds that something else makes the window dirty. And so she actually builds a whole scaffold system outside the window. And she's got a whole cupboard full of cleaners next to the window. And, and, and the idea is that, that she gets so focused on just cleaning the window that she forgets to enjoy the view. And he says, congratulations, you've just become a Pharisee. And it's going to happen to us, where we are captivated by God's love, and we realize we're saved by grace. It's not about what I do. I, I receive the Holy Spirit by grace. It's not about what I do. God works miracles in my life because of grace. It's not about what I do, and, and we're just enjoying the freedom of God, and then all of a sudden, we start focusing on the rules. And I, I got to obey all the rules, and we get so focused on obeying the rules that we forget about our love relationship with God. And then we begin to see all the, th the, the people around us, look at what they're doing or not doing. Like, I don't think that person has right theology, and we've got to correct them because, you know, that's the way to God. And then all of a sudden you forget to love people, and you fail to love people. I mean, this is the trap of the Pharisees. The whole law is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. But you so quickly can get caught up in, in a right and wrong and get so focused on right. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Is this okay? Is this not okay? Is, it, is this the right theology? Is this the wrong theology? And all of a sudden your, your head is down there instead of looking up, up at God. In fact, Jesus said this of the Pharisees. Or I'll read this first. There's more verses about this. That love is the one thing we must do well. In Galatians 5, again, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. Or again in Romans 13, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So there you see again, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. And all of God's law is summed up in loving your neighbor. And it doesn't just say that twice, but three times the Bible says this. James 2, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to start anywhere, that's where we must start. If we're going to do well on one thing, that's the thing we must do well on, is just having a radical, awesome, amazing love for each other. And not only people inside, but people outside. People who have radically different faiths and morals and, or whatever out there because we're to love our neighbor. That's, that's the, the fulfillment of the entire law. Of the Pharisees, Jesus said this. You teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. And of course, my favorite picture is this. That's what he's talking about. Because Jesus' point is this. In the law, you could not eat gnats. That was, that was a law. But it was also in the law that you couldn't eat a camel. It was, it was, they were unpure, unclean. And yet they'd be so worried about straining every little gnat out of their water or their wine to make sure they didn't break the law. They were so careful to tithe even you know, their, little, their little basil flakes and making sure God gets 10%. They got to obey the law. But Jesus said, you're swallowing a camel. You're missing the whole point. <laughs> you're missing the most important thing. And that is... He talks about mercy and justice and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so, again, there's this subtle tendency that, 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 that we can be pulled into living for right and wrong rules, right theology, wrong theology, or, and miss the whole picture. And we can be straining out little gnats and pointing out gnats in everybody's life, and look at that gnat in there, and, and you're swallowing a camel because the whole law is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself. James Jordan said this. He says, we need to understand that the gospel is about the love of God. It is not about righteousness. Love is always and without exception righteous. Righteousness is the product, not the core. The church today struggles with love. It struggles with love between individuals, between leaders, between denominations. Why do we struggle with love? Because we haven't experienced it. Our eyes have been open to right and wrong instead and we have lived our Christian life based on that evaluation. Also, also called Christian conflicts are founded and energized per, by perspectives of right and wrong, good and evil. Any resolution from within that perspective is weak and flawed because it is based in the mind which cannot love. There is a much easier way. Be filled with the love of the Father until that love becomes the expression of your life. When, are you, when you are filled with the love of the Father, you will discover, discover an interesting thing. You will discover that you are no longer interested in sin anymore. Neither are you interested in trying to work out what is right and wrong. You just want to love. 
and you will discover that love cannot sin. The love of God cannot sin. Human love may sin, but God's love cannot. God's love is His very nature. The only way that we can love with His love is to be full of it. And so he's talking about, you know, we can so easily get in conflicts with everything around us because we're focused on right and wrong. And he's saying, let's be filled with the Father's love. Because the Father's love cannot sin. It does not sin. Uh, I mean, the Father doesn't wake up in the morning like trying not to sin. I mean, he just just doesn't because he is love. And he's saying the more that we are filled with the Father's love, the more we're actually just going to automatically do what God wants. And the more we're going to focus on what's really important, and that is loving each other. You know, there is a tradition that has been uh, told uh, of the Apostle John. Apostle John was the only of the 12 apostles to actually live till he was of a, of a very elderly age. And, and the, the legend says that he was so old that he couldn't even walk to church anymore. So folks had to lift him up and carry him to church. And, uh, and they said that he would, he would always say one thing, little children love one another. And he was so old that everybody else was like a little kid to them, I guess. But, you know, little children love one another. And, and sometimes people get frustrated. You know, you know, Apostle John, you were with Jesus and you, you wrote parts of the Bible. And, you know, you know, give us a sermon. And he would just say, little children love one another. And the story goes, that, you know, finally someone asked him, you know, like, why do you keep just telling us this one thing? Surely there's more to talk about. And his response was this. It is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. Because the whole law is fulfilled in this one command to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, Father, we ask if there are any attitudes or actions that are not in line with your heart, God, that you would just melt those away. God, we don't want to be deceived like the Pharisees, thinking that, that, that we're awesome for God, and yet we're missing the most important thing. God, we, we want to focus on the most important thing, and that is, is, is love. God, loving you and loving people. And so, Father, we pray you just birth that in, in, in greater and deeper ways in our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.